This episode is brought to you by the Disability and Food Art Exhibit, a groundbreaking exploration of disability, culture, and food stories in the Couch and Valley through photos and videos. Learn how you can support this in-person and virtual exhibition at disabilityandfood.art. That's disabilityandfood.art. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain on the Vancouver film and television industry and celebrate its beating heart. Namely, the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Firminger, and today we are going to look back on an unprecedented year One year ago this week, COVID-19 shut down the Vancouver film and television industry. On March 12, 2020, the CW suspended production on Riverdale when a crew member was reported to have been exposed to COVID. By March 15th, cameras had stopped rolling on every single production in the province. It was a massive blow to a sector that had seen record growth in recent years. By summer, the cameras were rolling again, but production looked and felt more than a little different. Gone were buffet lunches and a free-for-all at craft services. Daily temperature checks were to be expected, as were regular COVID testing and non-stop PPE. COVID seemed to touch every aspect of production, from how scenes were written, to auditioning, to even waste management. And yet, Cameras rolled. But at what cost? Today, I'll be speaking with Zach Lepofsky, director and caucus representative with the British Columbia branch of the Directors Guild of Canada, as well as actress Sharon Taylor, and Zena Harris, founder of Green Spark Group, about the ways that COVID-19 has transformed the Vancouver film and television industry. Klapovsky. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm just reminded of those ads you did for the DGCBC last year where you pretended to literally be hiding under the table. This is That's like you're just true. popping your head up. Um, it's been a long year uh, for all of us and especially for BC Film. Yeah. How would you characterize the industry's journey over this last year? Well, it's been unprecedented, as people often say, mm-hmm. um, but you know, when we we look at all the different things that have happened, uh, none of them have happened before. <laughs> we went from, you know, last year, 2020, uh, pretty normal beginning of the year. Um, production was up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then obviously everything shut down to zero, which has never happened before. We have never had zero production at any time since, you know, the early days. And, um, and then uh, a dramatic rise, you know, as Vancouver... Um, proved itself at the time of, of having pretty low cases and, and the whole industry kind of came together and also in an unprecedented way, you know, all these, um, all the 
different stakeholders, all the different unions, the producers, everyone came together to kind of build a plan to get back to work. Yeah. All voluntary, you know, the government didn't even tell us to do it. As an industry, we just self-organized and, and made it happen. Um, and that brought us, you know, back into production. And we actually quickly last year uh, broke through our all-time production records. Um, so we actually, you know, the highest number of simultaneous productions ever was was 57. And uh, there was a certain point last year where we hit 70. So we kind of smashed the all-time record of simultaneous productions because we were one of the few places in the world that was open for business. Um, and then, you know, things kind of have been uh, fairly strong ever since from a production standpoint. Um, and, uh, you know, there's been lots of learning and there was a few bumps with things like testing and stuff like that. But in general, it's, you know, for being something that no one could have ever planned for. I mean, I guess we could have planned for it, but no one did plan for it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's things are basically uh, back up to back up and running in a lot of ways. That, that is incredible. Um, and I applaud how many times you use the word unprecedented because it was, <laughs> it wasn't like during the Spanish flu, there was this big, you know, Vancouver film and television industry. There wasn't even television, right? <laughs> you know, that, that could yeah. shut down. There was nothing to shut down. But, you know, upon reopening, were there any unexpected challenges for either BC film workers or the industry as a whole? You know, I know that you spent a lot of the shutdown, both as a director and as a, an executive board caucus representative for DGCBC, you know, yeah. planning. It was a lot of planning during those unprecedented, during the unprecedented shutdown. But, you know, when it opened up, what were some of the unexpected challenges or the, um, we'll, we'll just say surprises about I mean, that was, time. I think there were tons of, of small ones. Um, you know, I wasn't actually in production. All my stuff was in development. So, um, but I know that every day there were, there were lots of small things that people were learning um, of like, Oh wait, you know, I guess we have to have lunch in this way. You know, I guess that, you know, we have to package our lunch this way and we've got to, oh, wait, you know, who's going to hold the mask when we take it off the actor? Is the actor going to hold it or is the hair and wardrobe person going to hold it? And, you know, who's, how are we going to put the mask back on them in a way that hasn't been contaminated? And, you know, like just like tiny, tiny things multiplied across every single person, you know, put a lot of stress on the crew. A lot of, you know, I think um, the biggest thing that's been really clear is everyone's been working really hard and everyone's been super diligent and following all the protocols, but it's put a huge amount of mental stress on everyone because it makes the job is a lot harder and the feeling of sort of potential danger is sort of always present. Um, and that, you know, when, when you're doing that for months and months and months, uh, it can burn a lot of people out. So we've, we've been concentrating a lot on the sort of mental health side of things now, now that the protocols are pretty much figured out, it's just making sure people are sort of staying sane and staying healthy that way. So how do you do that then? How, how do you make sure that people are staying sane and staying healthy? You know, yeah, I, I mean, mean I personally, of... I don't even leave my house and I'm under huge mental strain. I can't imagine <laughs> what it's like to be on a set with dozens of other people. It's difficult. Um, you know, as a guild, we already have a lot of, you know, even before COVID, we had a lot of um, mental health type of benefits and things that we could offer to our members. Um, so now we've been, um, you know, on the DGC side, I'm sure the other unions are doing the same thing. You know, we've been ramping up the communication about about the ability to, to partake in those things. 
um, as well as ramping up our participation financially in a lot of the um, uh, things like, uh, you know, those funds that are available for anyone in the film industry to who are in financially hard times and and just make just it's just communication, making sure that the helplines are open, that the um, that we're telling them all the different resources that they have, and that you know, communicating that mental health is important and it's not something to to just hide from or be disgraced by. That you know, it's it's something that that you can get help for, and and a lot of people have been uh, partaking in that, and it's been really helping them out. So all you can really do is offer the services and communicate those services the best you can and, um, and try and normalize the idea that, that, um, participating and getting help when you need it is totally fine. I know before the pandemic, the DGC was putting a lot of focus on diversity and inclusion and gender parity initiatives. How have these initiatives been impacted by the pandemic? Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, they, they've just been getting better and better. I mean, the, hmm. the, all the metrics for inclusion uh, are, have been improving, uh, you know, even in 2020. Like, there was nothing about 20. Well, even though 2020 had all sorts of, um, you know, craziness as far as the number of production going up and down, the kind of percentage of that work, uh, you know, continued to improve. In fact, uh, in 2020, we, we basically achieved gender parity as far as Canadian directors. So um, of all the TV directors um, that were Canadian that worked, um, it was within one director of 50-50 on every budget level. And so um, in a lot of ways, (laughs) uh, no, that isn't true of of all directors working in the province because a lot of the American directors, uh, the DGA actually just yesterday released their report and I think it was in the mid-30s that they're, so like you know, uh, female representation of TV directors from DGA directors is around 35%, 36%. But in the DGC, it's 50%. Um, And I think that's because when productions are looking to bring in more female directors, um, there's obviously female directors that are really experienced, but when they're looking to bring in new voices, they tend to be looking to Canada more than they're looking in in the u.s uh because uh, for whatever reason because they're already here i guess yeah. um so, so that's been great for our for our female uh, directors you know hitting gender parity is something that probably i don't think anyone would have considered was possible just five years ago yeah. um and we even saw for the first time in the mow market which strangely has been flat as far as gender parity um it's been a, hovering around 25 percent for eight years, yeah. um, last year um, saw like a 10% increase. So even the MOW market is starting to see gender parity increase. And then as far as inclusivity of all the other elements, you know, most specifically people of color, um, those numbers are rising. They're still not where they need to be, um, but they're definitely rising uh, year after year. So that's something that's just going to continue to hopefully improve. And um, and uh, there's a few there's a few ethnicities. You know, we we look at uh, it's, it's just one way of measuring, but we look at sort of our memberships um, and it's just based on self-identification. So it's by no, by no means a hard science. It's just who decides to, to identify as, as a certain uh, ethnicity uh, or not, but all those numbers are increasing. And in some cases, some of the ethnicities have, have already matched their representation in the population. Um, some are actually over their, their representation in the population. So um, the biggest one specific to 
Vancouver and BC that is massively underrepresented is Asian filmmakers. Um, you know, the Asian community, which is a large community, it's a lot of different countries. It's, you know, we, we kind of include South Asian, East Asian, you know, all, all the way from Japan down to Thailand as, as, you know, in India and all that as, as Asian, which is a large, you know, which is a large demographic. In BC, that make, or in Vancouver, that makes up about 40% of the city. Mm. Um, but in, in the DGC, it only makes up about 6% of the members. So massive underrepresentation, uh, if you look at it that way. So um, specifically, we've been really focusing on the Vancouver Asian community, the Vancouver Asian Film Festival, and any way that we can to kind of, um, you know, just interact and support those filmmakers um, to kind of grow as much as possible, because um, that's the community that's the most underrepresented in, in on the on the West Coast. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of great. I'm friends with so many awesome Asian filmmakers, and most every single one of the talent to watch films that Telefilm greenlit for BC was an Asian filmmaker. Yes. Um, so you know, there's a wave coming. It's just going to take a few years for them to enter into the kind of TV and and you know MOW and sort of feature world. Right. Wow, you really gave me a great segue to my next question. So a hat tip to you, sir, because I want to talk about the independent film scene. I know you've been heavily involved with Crazy Eights in some capacity for many years now, including as a juror. We actually yeah. sat on a, on a jury together. What impact do you think the pandemic has had on the local indie scene, which is, you know, renowned across the country and around the world for its passion and its output? Yeah, I mean, I think luckily, you know, Crazy Eights is going ahead. All all DGC short film programs going ahead, um, and all the all the telefilm movies that were greenlit in 2020 are going ahead. I know um, one of my friends is shooting his movie right now. Uh, you know, in COVID protocol land. Um, so it, you know, it's tough because uh, you know, shooting during a pandemic adds extra cost to your budget, mm-hmm. and when you're doing something indie, um, you don't have a lot to go around. You don't but, have a budget. <laughs> you yeah. don't have a budget. <laughs> but it's still happening because there are other benefits. Usually when you're indie, you're a smaller crew. Uh, you can be more nimble. You can you can kind of set up on a sidewalk and shoot something <laughs> and then be gone before anyone notices. Um, yeah. And you don't have to worry about like the 50 person limit and things like that because you could never afford 50 people. Um, so I, as far as I can tell, I mean, I all my friends that were planning on shooting indie films are shooting them anyway. So um, it hasn't really been, it's been tougher, but it still hasn't canceled them as far as I can tell. So hopefully that means it's alive and well. And um, you know, anyone who can help support those movies should, because you know, the best thing about Vancouver's indie scene, which is different than almost any other place I've ever visited um, is that because Vancouver has such a huge you know, professional industry, if you can call it that, but, you know, the TV industry, the, the MOW industry, right. because we, we do so much production through that. Um, crews and vendors are really eager to support locals mm. um, and give you, you know, free color timing, free gear, uh, or just significantly reduced prices on all the indie stuff. Um, and that doesn't happen anywhere else. You know, mm. when I talk to my indie film friends, you know, anywhere else in the world, they're shocked that the professional industry comes out and supports the indie industry with free stuff that just doesn't we take it for granted in vancouver because it's always been that way because people sort of are able to make really wealthy (laughs) careers and and the vendors are able to kind of keep their doors open with all of the us-based production and they sort of want to give back to the local community and so 
like you said, it's it's a really vibrant community, and it's one that we're really lucky to be a part of because um, there's not a lot of other places in the world that that work that way. Yeah, you know, when you're talking, I, I realized. And I totally was listening to you, so don't think I wasn't. But when you talked about how the indie filmmakers were, were you know, they, they were surviving and they were making their stuff, you know, even though it's tougher, I was like, you know what? It is, it is also, it's always been tough for indie people to make their stuff, but they just make it work, you know, because of the strength of our community here. So, yeah, there's no such thing as easy independent filmmaking. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, is there, are there any, at like benefits of COVID that you hope will stick around, you know, once the once we're all vac- vaccinated and we're out of COVID land, as you just ma- magical COVID land, as you described it. Um, like, is it any anything positive? Yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of a strange thing, but you know, I think there's one of the things that's happened. Uh, I think all of us have experienced is that there's been way more, you know, Zoom communication, things like Clubhouse. There's just been way more sort of community building online. And and sort of because of that, it's been cross, cross-border cross and cross-provincial. So like at the DGC, we've been running these courses um, that are usually in person. And so only like 30 people can participate or, or 35 people. But instead, we've been able to... Um, run them across the country and have, you know, 60, 70 directors from across the country all participate and share the same space and share ideas. And we started doing things. Uh, we've been basically doing what we call Zoom clubhouses, where we we just have a Zoom room with 70 directors from across the country, all just chatting about whatever. Um, and that sort of community building um, has been kind of really great. Obviously, we're going to still have things in person as things open up. But I think a lot of people are thinking about what the hybrid of that will be like, you know, having in-person events that are also available over Zoom. (laughs) Um, Because I think there's a lot of access um, that we've realized, you know, there's a lot of value to a lot of this experience that people have. And the other thing that's been kind of amazing for us is we've, we used to do, you know, events where we would fly executives up from LA and we'd get, it would be really hard to convince them, but eventually they would come up and they'd only get to meet a few people. But what we've noticed is that, um, and I'm sure lots of people have noticed this. All these people of influence, showrunners, executives, producers, agents, you know, getting on a plane and going somewhere is really tough, but just signing on to a Zoom whenever is it convenient to them is, is totally, um, totally easy. And so we've been doing way more networking than we've ever done before um, over Zoom uh, with the LA-based people. And I think that actually opens up from all the kind of Vancouver-based filmmakers and, and directors and, and artists, because we're basically an LA-based industry. Like everyone who hires a director in Vancouver is in LA. <laughs> so yeah. you have to kind of go to LA to get hired in Vancouver, but Zoom has sort of opened up the access to that in ways that I think will stay around for a long time. And um, you know, you're still gonna have to fly down for, for meetings now and then, but that you know $1,000 cup of coffee is no longer sort of on the table, I think, in the same way, because people, even LA, even all the people I talk to in LA are talking about how, hey, maybe we don't have to drive across town in rush hour just to have a meeting all the time now. Mm-hmm. You know, they're gonna still have some meetings in person, but more, I think more is gonna happen online in a hybrid way. And I think that's gonna lead to greater access for 
uh, Canadians to people across the country and to people in LA, um, you know, as we kind of figure out what the mix will be moving forward. And as you say, these are unprecedented times. So we're just going to have to wait and see. And as they say at the DGC, BC, just watch us. (laughs) (laughs) See, I worked it in there. Thank you so much, Zach Lepofsky. Thank you. Sharon Taylor has appeared on the YVR Screen Scene podcast a couple of times before and in one unreleased episode as well, which will stay in the vault forever. And I'm not even going to say why. Okay, I'll say why. It was because of sound issues. Anyway, Sharon Taylor is one of our busiest and most in-demand actresses. And she, like everybody else in the industry, has been impacted by the pandemic. So Sharon, hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi. 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 So I want to talk about how your life as an actor, and I should say, you can see Sharon currently on ABC's Big Sky, and she, I am speaking to her on the line from Calgary, where she's filming the third season of Jan. Yeah, that's right. Third season yep. of Jan. Third so season. I want to hear how your life as an actor has changed since the pandemic blew everything up. Well, essentially when the world shut down back in March, there was the film industry shut down, everything shut down. There was no auditions, nothing filming. So even when you're not working as an actor, you are still putting auditions on tape or going to auditions and you're still getting your creative juices flowing. You're still working those acting muscles, but, um, there was nothing, absolutely nothing. And so in some ways it felt like a relief because for the first time in my Mm. life, I didn't have any lines to memorize because a lot of the time I make plans with friends to go for a walk or go for a hike or do something. But like things are always cut short because I look at my phone and I realize, oh, I have an audition. Sorry, I got to go home and memorize lines. So there was this interesting freedom at the beginning of the pandemic And like anything, and probably like most industries and and people that work in different fields, they they probably all felt that little sense of relief and scariness at the beginning, Mm. because there was a little bit of a sense of relief when the whole world shut down at the same time, because you realize you're not missing out on anything, you're not missing out on any parts, we're all in it together everything has shut down. Yeah, there's no FOMO when you know everybody else is just eating their sourdough, you know, 100%. and watching their Tiger King. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I binge watched Tiger King as one of the first things I did. Absolutely. Yeah, along with Love is Blind. So who, I don't know. I'm, I'm a complicated individual, clearly. Indeed you are, Sharon Taylor. Indeed so, you are. So then, then the, the industry started to um, open up again in July. And I got asked to do an independent film with some friends and we arrived at SED and we're all friends and we all know each other. And we kind of started laughing because we said to ourselves, do we even remember how to act? Hmm. You know, it was weird. It was weird to like suddenly be memorizing lines and saying lines and doing all these things. And it was like, you just felt like you, And it wasn't just me, because I spoke about this with a couple other people on that set. We all felt a little bit stuttered. Hmm. But then, you know, you get back into the groove of it, and everything starts running smoothly. And and I've been so fortunate that when 
the film industry did open up again, I've managed to still work pretty consistently. You know, I'm very, very grateful for that. And so in the beginning, when we had to start going for COVID tests, every, sometimes some shows are once a week, some shows are two times a week. But um, for example, on ABC, Big Sky, it's three times a week. And I almost think that that did something to my psychology. Hmm. I, I became more fearful in some ways because I was scared to leave my house because I was thinking, you know, I have a COVID test tomorrow. Like I better not go to the grocery store because I might get infected and then I can't work. And then I don't want to be the one person that shuts down a set hmm. because a lot of actors, we felt this way too. Nobody wants to be the pariah, the actor that shuts down an entire show. And thank God, knock on wood, I have never been that person and nor will I be because I'm very safe. But, um, you know, a few shows in Vancouver were shut down because a couple actors or crew members tested positive for COVID. Hmm. And um, it, it did something to me psychologically. And within the first week of me going back to work, I felt nervous on set because you have to take your mask off whenever they do your makeup and then I felt nervous pulling my mask down. Eventually I started to get more used to it. But one of the days I was working, by the end of the day, I, I had a horrible headache. And I thought to myself, oh my God, I've gotten COVID today while I'm at work, like on set and somehow throughout the day, I've started to like manifest my symptoms. And then I realized, no, it's because I have my hair slicked back in a bun. And that's mm -hmm. why I have a headache. And so at the end of the day, I take the bun out and then the headache goes away. But it, it, but this whole pandemic has like tapped into everyone's paranoia and fears and anxiety yeah. during this time. What about the, the craft of acting itself, which requires you to be vulnerable, you know, to, to trust your fellow actors and to, to feel, you know, that you, and, and to trust that you're in a safe environment where you can, you know, do that acting thing you do. Like, how has the craft of acting been impacted by the pandemic? Well, and all I'm of the fears and paranoia you're talking about. Exactly. I'm very fortunate because the shows that I have been working on, I have a, a friendship already with the actors mm -hmm. and I know who they are. I know their lives. I know that they just basically go to work and then go home. They're not out partying and they're not doing things like that. So I, I don't personally feel at risk, but I can imagine that if you were doing a scene for the first time with someone else, you don't even know. And then you might even have to do a love scene with them or, or some kind of sexy scene. And then you're being intimate and, you know, the COVID is still, still an issue. Yes. Right? Yeah. And yeah. I have spoken to some actors too, who have had that. They've actually written out a lot of love scenes and a lot of written out kisses. Um, I've spoken to um, an actor who refused to get COVID tested because he didn't believe in the coronavirus COVID-19 oh. he thinks it's a hoax so because of that they had his character was already established he'd already been in other like seasons and episodes so because of that they had to slowly write him out and they even had to shoot some of his footage on a green screen because none of the other actors wanted to act with him because he wouldn't get COVID tested <laughs> and it was just bananas to me because 
the COVID test is really no skin off anyone's back, right? <sighs> it's really a simple thing. And it doesn't, it, it, in the beginning of this pandemic, the COVID tests that went straight up your nose, they were a bit painful, but nowadays they have it mastered to an art. It does not, it doesn't hurt. You don't feel any pain. It's just swirling around inside the inner part of your nostril. But this, you know, particular actor, he stood, you know, he stood on the principle of it all and yeah, wouldn't get tested. Well, he has the right to believe what he wants to believe and the employer production and coworkers have the right to say bye-bye. What a way to like, I mean, this is, I don't know who this is and you're not telling me yet. You might tell me after, <laughs> but you know, like what a, what a way to just throw away an opportunity as well, right? Like that's, mm -hmm. um... That's some principles there, uh, quote unquote principles. What about auditions? You know, because I know that a big part of, of how actors, you know, spend their time hopefully is, you know, going to, going to auditions, sitting in audition waiting rooms, talking. That's where you're talking, maybe talking to uh, your fellow actor friends, you know. And so I'm assuming like, you're, are you do, that you're not doing as many in-person no, auditions there, or there has been no in-person auditions for myself and from what i understand from almost everybody yeah. since this pandemic it's been all self-taped auditions and um it's no, a is that a good sword. thing yeah so is it a good thing that, it, that it's all you know on camera um or like, are we, are you losing communicating something you know about what you can do if you don't have the opportunity to be in an actual room. Yeah. So that's what I mean by um, like it being a double-edged sword is that there's so many bonuses by being able to tape an audition on your own with a friend or someone in your bubble or in your family, because you can do multiple, multiple takes of the audition and then send the best version to the casting director. So um, two things are happening there. It has um, given us an opportunity to send the best version of ourselves, but also it has made it more competitive for the, for the industry because people don't have to have the day off to go to the audition. No, we all have extra free time. So you can literally tape the audition in the middle of the night if you happen to have a day job. Whereas, you know, two years ago, if you had an audition, but you were booked to work on, on another TV show or at a restaurant or your side job, you missed the audition. And a lot of the times you, your agent would sometimes request if you can send in a tape. But mm -hmm. a lot of the times the casting director would be like, nope, these are the auditions, you know, whoever's here is going to make it. And of course we miss out seeing all our friends in the audition room. You know, there was a group of women that I've been auditioning with for almost 20 years mm -hmm. and I have a friendship with them. So, um, you miss out on that part, the socializing yeah. part, but you, you can, like I said, send the best tape of yourself. But then the only problem with that is that you're not getting any direction from the casting director or the director who's usually in the room of mm. the audition. So you, you're just kind of winging it. You're, you're taking a stab in the dark at how you think that character is, is portrayed. But then, but then the casting director might watch your tape and be like, oh, this is not at all what I wanted, what I'm looking for. 
Hmm. But, but, but if you'd been in the room, they could have said, oh, can you try that again? But like really make her more grounded or, or really make her more nervous or something like that. Right. Yeah. And you don't get that opportunity anymore. Yeah. So that are there certain actors who or a certain like a, a type of actor who has a certain like skill set or a perspective that has an advantage in this new paradigm where it's all it's all yeah i'm going to say yeah exactly the more experienced actors you know i've gotten to a place in my craft that i'm i'm very i make very specific choices about the characters that i'm playing so when mm-hmm. i used to go into an audition room i actually didn't get any redirection or notes from the casting directors. They were usually like, oh, great, like how you portrayed it. But if you're a younger actor, you don't get that opportunity to grow. You don't get those notes. So I, I feel for the younger actors because of that. But then at the same time, they're getting the opportunity to be seen that they might have not had to be seen before because before when a casting director had a part they would often call in like the 10 actors in Vancouver that they think are great for that part but now they can see 30 because they're just watching tapes and fast forwarding through them yeah how do you think the BC film and TV industry which I realize is like a multi-headed beast that I love and I'd like to have a little head on that body. Um, but how do you think that, that, thank you. Okay, so then we, how do you think we've handled the, all of the challenges, you know, presented by the pandemic? Oh my goodness, the BC film industry, well, the entire Canadian film industry should be incredibly proud. Mm. Um, there was obviously some union issues at the beginning of when the industry, like, started to get going again as to how many COVID tests are required. And um, if you have a SAG contract, they have to have a certain amount of COVID tests. Mm-hmm. But our BC union, it's n- not the same number of COVID tests that are required. Right. So there's just been a little bit of discrepancy with that, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it is so safe. There's COVID police on every set. Like, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> COVID call police. Them the COVID police. So you'll be on the set and the second you finish your scene, they're standing there going, put your mask back on, like, which is great because they're trying to remind everybody because sometimes you finish the scene and you turn to your fellow actors and you're like, oh, that was so great. Or, oh my gosh, that was so funny when that happened. But um, right away, you have to put your mask back on. And on different shows, they have different protocols. I worked on one show where um, the actors had to wear their own clothes like it was an independent film mm-hmm. and it would, and I did a part on another another network show where they wanted the actors to come in and bring their own clothes the costume designer helped pick what to wear but the costume department didn't want to touch your clothes so you were responsible for doing that dressing yourself and then also miking yourself with the microphone you usually the sound department wires you but a lot now, they often just hand you the microphone pack and you just wire yourself. And I'd like to say that like, oh, gee, people could be out of a job now that actors are doing everything themselves. But that's not true because now that things are getting safer and a lot of COVID tests, 
those particular precautions have been more lax. The sound department is now wiring us properly because at the end of the day, if you don't have proper sound, your whole project is potentially ruined. (laughs) Yeah, we've had we've had to deal with sound issues here at the Web Your Screen Scene podcast. Yeah, we don't know anything about we don't know anything about that. (laughs) (laughs) Sharon, I love how formal I'm sounding. Our listeners know we're friends. It's yes. hard for me to sound formal. So it's almost like I'm, I'm acting right now. Sharon, is there anything from the last year, from our response to the pandemic, that you would like to see continue in our industry once the pandemic is over? Because I swear to you, the pandemic will be over one day. Yes, we're getting closer. And you know what? I have a lot to say about that because I was a bit of a germaphobe before this industry, I mean, before the pandemic started. So even within the film industry, there was certain things I didn't particularly, that made me uncomfortable the whole part of my career. Mm. I hated the craft service table. I hated that there's open bowls of food everywhere and everyone is sticking their hands in these open bowls of food. Mm. Like I never ate out of those bowls before the pandemic. And because, because I think that that's really unsanitary, especially because you have these crappy washroom porta potty things. People can't even wash their hands properly, you know, mm. and it's, everyone's like sticking their hands in the same stuff and eating the food. And it was So there's that. And the other plus side of that is that you can't graze over the goodies. You can't just stand there and graze over the goodies and get chubby like (laughs) like we used to. So it's like forcing, it's forcing (laughs) self-control. You're hilarious. And the same, and I feel the same way about like, about the catering department, like the catering at lunchtime. It used to be a giant table. It was a smorgasbord. It was a buffet on on the film sets. And I personally can't stand buffets my whole life. Wow. I don't want to touch the same tongs that 150 other people just touched. And then people are not even, I mean, I always washed my hands before, even if I had to touch the tong, I would wash my hands before I ate my food. But you know, I don't think everyone's doing that. They would touch the tongue and then eat their food. Yeah, you don't know so, where that hand was in the five, ten minutes, hour before they touched I, the, I have those been tongs. on so many film sets where it has been, they're like, oh, everybody's getting sick. Oh, crew members are going down right, left, and center because they got the flu or they got this horrible sinus cold. But that is not happening at all anymore. Hmm. Nope. What about mental health challenges. Um, I don't mean you personally, although this is a safe space. You're welcome to share it here. Uh, But you know, like what are you, what impact are you seeing that the pandemic is having on, on actors who are part of our community? Well, I'd like to think that it, it forced us to be more creative, but I talked to a lot of people who we didn't do anything during our time off. We thought we were going to write scripts and be creative, but nobody did. So I don't know if that was because our mental health needed the break or because our mental health was like, I just 
feel stunted and I don't know where to go from here. Yeah, because we are existing in a global pandemic. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And also it's really hard to get things made. It's harder now to get things made than before because the COVID insurance is, is an incredible amount of money. Yeah. Um, you know, I have, there's been two shows that I have been supposed to work on but they couldn't get COVID insurance. So they couldn't go ahead with it. Wow. That makes me sad. That makes me sad to think of the stories that aren't being told right now. Um, Yeah. But there are more stories in our future. Yeah. For sure. It's getting better. There's hope now. At least there's hope. You're hopeful? Yeah, I'm, I'm very hopeful. I watch the news and I see... You know, the things that Dr. Bonnie Henry is saying, like about a month and a half ago, I pretty much cried after I watched one of her press conferences because she said, you know, we are on the precipice of ultimate disaster with these new variants. If everyone doesn't, you know, stay the course. And and I was like, and she said, we could go back to another lockdown, like at the very beginning of March of last year. And I was like, what? But now her press releases are so optimistic with all the new vaccine rollouts. So it definitely feels uplifting and hopeful. Then let's end with hope. Yes. We have hope. We have hope. We have hope. All the stories are going to get told. People won't need to have huge amount of COVID insurance in the future. They can get their projects made. And we will all gather together. And we will all gather together. Yeah. Thank you, Sharon Taylor. Yeah. Thank you, Sabrina. I think we should start by talking about GreenSpark Group and what it is that the company does. So what services do you offer to the Vancouver film and television industry? So GreenSpark Group is a sustainability consulting firm, and we specialize in working with film and TV uh, stakeholders across the value chain. So on production, uh, up through the corporate entities, studios, suppliers, um, folks like that. Um, And so on production, we focus on um, integrating sustainable practices into the production process. And it's it's really key uh, to to get in there, provide support, provide training, um, be be a resource for production because it's so fast paced. So that's the kind of work we do with productions. Uh, And then Um, On the sort of corporate side, um, it's thinking about strategy, how do you integrate with, um, you know, your corporate practices in the production and how does it all link up and And then we do program management uh, with industry organizations. So they're kind of serving the industry and, you know, leaking with stakeholders like the uh, studios and then also trying to serve productions. And so trying to figure out programs and services related to um, the industry with with those folks. Uh, And then another one of our key components uh, that I've mentioned on the on-production stuff, but that we're trying to really um, facilitate more broadly is um, education and training. And we've 
because of COVID, uh, really ventured into the online education space because mm. everybody's digital these days. And, um, and we were also getting calls from folks all over the world asking us about how to integrate on their productions in Australia or New Zealand or oh. other places around the world. And this is a way to kind of reach further afield, have people learn on their own, integrate in their local context. And so we've got a GreenSpark Knowledge Hub and we've got a couple of courses up there now. So um, all to say that we're trying to influence the industry in various ways um, and help as much as we can. And hopefully these services, um, you know, become or even more valued and, you know, folks really get into, um, you know, incorporate incorporating sustainability into the various aspects of their work. Let's put a pin in COVID. Wouldn't it be great to actually put a pin in COVID? But let's put a pin in COVID (laughs) for a minute then. Let's go back in time to immediately before the pandemic. Like how was the Vancouver film and TV industry doing as far as reducing its environmental impact and footprint? Well, I think if you, you know, if you look at 2019, it was a fast paced whirlwind production was, was flying. I mean, it was just, it was really, you know, quite a year, a lot of activity and, you know, in terms of overall how the industry was doing, I think there, the momentum was such that you know, the, the education was there, folks were starting to get more engaged, the awareness is there. The actual impact um, is hard to quantify because mm-hmm. we have um, means to collect that information, but we haven't consistently collected it all, you know, collected it yet. So it's hard to really say like 2019, you know, was X um, in terms of carbon emission, for example. But programs are spinning up, productions are, were, you know, integrating more and more waste management practices, these sorts of things. Um, the city of Vancouver was really, you know, engaged. And that is, you know, COVID has allowed um, everyone to freak out a little bit and also to breathe a little bit and to kind of rethink. Um, and I think, you know, coming off of 2019 for me personally, I traveled more that year than I have traveled in, you know, the previous few years combined, you know, it was an intense year. And I think that maybe somewhere the vibes in the world were saying, we need to stop. We need to think, we need to figure out what we're doing here. And COVID was the messenger for for making that happen in some ways. All right. Let's take that pin out of COVID then. Um, What impact has the pandemic had on our industry's green initiatives. Um, you mentioned a big one already, which is which is travel. Uh, people might not be traveling as much. And actually, that's something that Zach Lepofsky spoke about as well in our interview. But what are some of the other impacts that COVID-19 has had on the industry's green initiatives? Well, I think most immediately, um, you know, it, it's, it's waste. I mean, uh, you know, we are using more uh, materials uh, at catering that we, you know, that we need to individually wrap everything. Um, we can't serve food buffet style like we used to, you know, these sorts of things. So, so there's more materials in individual aspects there that leads to waste because not every caterer is serving in 
100% compostable, you know, material. So right. there's that. There's also PPE. I mean, we can't get away from that. Everybody has to, to have it. They have to have it multiple times a day, new, new PPE. Yeah. And so, um, so the thing that folks can see is the waste. And that is a key element. Um, another part of that is, is water, hydration in general. I mean, that has um, been a bit of a sticking point um, because where the industry was getting pretty used to uh, serving water in bulk um, water jugs yeah. and maybe using dolphin pumps or, or whatever to, um, to pump the water into reusable bottles, there's a full scale change to individual plastic water bottles, canned no, water, I mean, that of sort course, of thing. right? Of course there has to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that just, that just must be, that must be breaking your heart. Like I can just see like on one hand, like that, and to exist in that space where you're like, I, we need to have PPE. We need to have a way to drink water, you know, and, but on the other hand, just the waste Oh, like what yeah. has been going through your mind? Well, it's crazy because, um, you know, it, on the one hand, you know, it's almost like you have to, you know, you can't like, there's no one to blame. Like it just, it just is an issue. Um, and so, you know, it's like, crap, you know, it's just it is the way it is. <laughs> but on the other hand, it's like, okay, with any problem, there's another way to think about it. There's another way to approach it. And I think that after the initial freak out um, and, and realization, like, oh my gosh, we've got so much waste. There was a, you know, a kind of uh, an epiphany by some to, to think, you know, um, at catering, we don't have to wrap everything in plastic and we don't have to use plastic utensils. We can use wood fiber. We can wrap in a paper napkin, which I know it's paper, but it's compostable. So there's the silver lining in that. There's, so there's, there's been that, I mean, we've designed zero waste lunches, for example, mm -hmm. because everything is compostable and it goes in the compost bin. That can be done. Um, the, you know, the waste in the PPE um, and, and water bottles, uh, there are shows trying new things with those water bottles. They're, they're getting reusables. They're using cans, which is better than plastic. Um, aluminum cans can be recycled. So, so they're experimenting there. They're trying to use bulk when they can, um, you know, as science has, has more research has been done, scientists have said, you know, it's virus, the virus isn't really spreading on surfaces. So it's kind of loosened up some of the, the thinking about what can and cannot be done. Um, so there's just, there, it's shifting, it's constantly evolving and, um, and PPE can be recycled. So there's, there's that. Um, but yeah, the, the initial knee jerk reaction was, you know, everything single use, everything's wrapped in, you know, something. And, um, and there's a lot of waste. So once the pandemic is over, and it will be over, Zena, I promise. How long do you think it will take to make up any ground we might have lost in in the momentum or in our journey to truly green film production? Because as you said, there was so much momentum in 2019. Well, it's interesting because while the the 
the things I've mentioned have definitely been a, a step backwards. There are still many practices that haven't changed at all, that COVID hasn't affected. So for example, um, using plugging into the grid, like you can do that now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and you can do that before COVID and, and nothing has changed. Um, and you can choose what you serve in, it, you know, on your menu, you, you've had, you have the choice. So you can do that now um, and serve less beef, for example. So there are practices like that that haven't changed at all. Um, and in this sort of slower time, um, there have been uh, stakeholders really working hard to, um, you know, uh, implement um, incentives, for example. Um, so the city of Vancouver uh, film office has an incentive whereby if a production filming in the city um, can demonstrate that they have um, used a battery power station or plugged into the grid in some way um, uh, not used a diesel generator, then they get half off their film permit. So that is really, you know, it, it starts to add up in that regard. You can basically pay for that battery power station um, with the the money saved there. So that's just happened in the last year. So, yeah. Yeah. So there are things that have been, um, you know, really, uh, you know, progress has been made um, over the last year and productions can take advantage of that now. And the more that we do, the more that we demand, it'll just keep evolving over time. So I'm actually quite hopeful because it has, you know, this, last year has caused um, the big rethink, if you will, about everything, about safety, about health, about, you know, hours at work, um, where you work, how you work, all of that. And sustainability has definitely been in the mix. Um, And we will come out of it changed and, um, and know more about how to plan for sustainable production. Um, and there will be more um, incentives available and equipment, innovative equipment um, available. So I'm actually quite optimistic um, and think that while it, some things have taken um, a bit of a hit, you know, in terms of the, the waste, there are other things that have been moving along and progressing and improving and, um, and I think productions are, you know, will um, continue to realize sustainability uh, benefits going forward. Well, then let's end on that optimistic note then. Zena Harris, thank you so much. The YVR Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Firminger, and edited by Simon Firminger. Special thanks to Mariana Firminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Firminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Firminger Devalet for the original music. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Find us on all the socials at YVR Screen Scene, on Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts for free. You can also find us on our home on the web at www.yvrscreenscene.com. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And... One out of every five Canadians is disabled.
And one of the biggest barriers they face is food, not just in the ability to prepare it, but also gaining access to healthy ingredients. These barriers often intersect with other areas of marginalization, such as ethnicity, sexuality, and gender identity. How can we help? How do we begin improving food security for marginalized Canadians? We can start with awareness. And Jules Sherrod is inviting all of us to take that first step and be part of the solution. Jules is a disabled food photographer and advocate with a mission to increase awareness and provide solutions to create better accessibility to those who need it. His plan? To create a photography and video exhibit, both online and in studio, that showcases the food-related stories of eight disabled Canadians, eight Canadians from culturally diverse backgrounds, and eight Cowichan Valley food and beverage producers. This project will also create at least five added jobs for disabled and other marginalized people. And Jules is inviting all of us to be part of bringing this important project to life. Your contributions will launch a unique art exhibit and shine a light on one of the biggest and most life-threatening barriers disabled Canadians face today, accessing food. Learn how you can support this in-person and virtual exhibition at disabilityandfood.art. That's disabilityandfood.art. Every little bit helps. Thank you.